Um, well, again, good morning, everyone. Um, we are going to take another break from John, but I think this leads really well into the end of John 15, which we're going to get back to next week. So two Sundays ago, we looked at the parable of the barren fig tree. And I wanted to take a look at that again, uh, because again, I think it, it'll help us better understand John 15. So that's, that's my purpose and my thinking in that. Um, when Jesus says in John 15, when he tells his disciples to abide in him, uh, he's talking about abiding in him and bearing fruit, right? I think I'm feeding back, Ruth, maybe just a little bit down. Thanks. And, and so this morning, I want to ex expand on that a little bit because I think uh, two Sundays ago, I crammed a lot into that sermon and I feel like it was more of an overview. And so, again, I think this will lead us into the end of John 15 next week. Um, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to look at that same passage from Jeremiah 17 again. So Jeremiah 17. And we'll be starting in verse 5. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So if you remember last time, this is two Sundays ago, we talked about two types of people, the two types of people that this passage is referring to. One person is a person who trusts God, and the other person is the opposite, they do not trust God. The person who trusts God is firmly planted by the water, by Jesus, they have confidence in him. They've decided to make their life about him and to take a stand and be planted as a follower of Jesus. This person finds their strength in the Lord. Their roots are, are drawing from the Lord. And Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He says in, in chapter 6, verse 35, that he is the bread of life. And then in chapter 4 and 7 of John, he says that he wants to give us living water. And this all has to do with this. The person who trusts in the Lord gets strength by being firmly planted in Jesus and turning to him for sustenance and for strength. And then finally, even when trouble comes, this person continues to flourish and bear fruit. How did they do that? It says in John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, right? We abide in Jesus when we first accept him as Christ and Lord, as our Savior, when we obey him, when we're actively seeking to do his will, and when we remain or persevere 
in our faith in him, when we continually go to him, we abide in him, our source of life. And then the other person in this passage, the person who does not trust the Lord, is a person who does not trust God and, and makes flesh their strength. In other words, they believe that they are all they need. They have the inner power to overcome anything by themselves without God. Secondly, Jeremiah says this person turns their heart away from the Lord. So not only does God mean nothing to this person, they believe that believing in God would hold them back, hold them back from moving forward or for, from progressing in this life. These are the kinds of people who believe that the idea of God is just man-made superstition that turns people into religious fanatics that cause nothing but trouble in the world. And that's what this person believes. And I think we can agree that people who believe just in religion, they make religion and rules their God, they do cause problems, right? Because there's no real connection to the real God the God of love who wants us to be led by his spirit and not by the spirit of this world. The spirit of this world is self-concerned, it's self-focused, and it's full of the fruit of flesh. And we're going to talk about the fruit of flesh in a minute. Thirdly, the person who does not trust in God trusts in themselves and mankind. They believe that mankind is essentially good, that mankind is moving forward and progressing and evolving into a better state. And you, you kind of hear or you get glimpses of that a lot, don't you? That humanity is getting better, that we're progressing, that society and people are becoming more correct in their thinking. And honestly, up until a few years ago, the general mood was maybe humanity is doing pretty good. Racism seemed like a thing of the past. People seemed to be more accepting of each other. There, was, there were no major wars between countries. It seemed like maybe we were progressing. Um, but these last few years have shown that that kind of thinking is, is wrong. It's false. It's not reality. We're not more accepting of each other. If you're on social media, you know that, right? There may not be war in our countries, but there have always been wars and rumors of wars. And obviously, racism is not a thing of the past either. I remember listening to, to a podcast not long ago where they were interviewing a, a gospel singer. Her name is Mavis Staples. And she grew up in the 50s where there was blatant racism. She's been through the civil rights movement um, when things began to change. And, and she even says in this interview, I thought things were getting better. And, and there's a reason why things like racism, division, Divis divisiveness, I couldn't say that word when I was practicing this sermon either, divisiveness and wars, there's a, there's a reason why these things haven't disappeared, because there can't be real change without heart change. I'm already missing slides. That's what the Bible teaches us. There's no real change without heart change. Things can be buried in people's hearts. They can look good on the outside, but on the inside, they can be full of anger and full of hate. If your heart has not changed, then you have not changed. If someone hates another race, but they just keep quiet, 
there's still that hate in their hearts, right? That's why Jesus says, if you, if you think of a woman lustfully in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Or John says in 1 John 3, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's pretty harsh, but when you see sin as a heart issue, it, it makes more sense. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. Pretty insulting to them, but it was true. Without heart change, we cannot change. So the idea that humanity can move forward or is moving forward without God is a myth. It's not possible. So how does heart change take place then? Only with God, right? And the majority of our world does not know him. So of course, there's going to be discord and hate and division. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing, he says. And obviously, Jesus isn't saying that non-believers just sit around and do nothing. There are hardworking people out there who are trying to be good people, who are disciplined, who have goals, who are, who are accomplishing things. But we have to ask, can we really do anything meaningful without God. Jesus says here in this verse that we can't. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not saying we can't accomplish anything. He's just saying that we can't do anything meaningful that will last. I, I want to say something that might be surprising to you. For the most part, we, I'm talking about believers here, we live like we don't really care that the world is falling deeper into sin. Because it's either that or we're afraid. If we're complacent, if we, if we don't care, then it shows that there's no love for those around us. But if we're afraid, what are we afraid of? Are we afraid of rejection? If we really did believe that humanity is not okay without God, then wouldn't we, wouldn't we live like we ourselves needed God every day? because of what's in our hearts? And wouldn't we live like those around us truly needed God? Often when we hear a statement like that, we, we picture that we're supposed to be out on the street screaming that everybody is going to hell. Um, and, we, and we think, that's not me. I could never do that. But God is not calling us to become fanatics, to be screaming on the streets. He's, he's calling us to relationship, to love, to gentleness, to kindness and goodness, right? Those are, those are some of the fruits of the Spirit. He's calling us to be in relationship. He sums up the whole law by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we, if we care about ourselves and we believe that we need God, then we love our neighbor as ourself by sharing that with them. But... Don't interpret the call to go and make disciples as having to shout from the rooftops. That, that doesn't mean that we can't be passionate. We do need to share the truth with those around us, but God wants you to do it in a way that is unique to you. Each of us has a unique personality that God has, has given us, 
and that God wants us to use to reach those around us. You may be the only one that can reach those around you because you are uniquely you. And God has placed you where you are for a reason. So hear me, when, when we don't have a desire to share God with others, that's a sign that there's something bigger going on. There's a bigger problem because it shouldn't be an embarrassment. It should overflow from within us. When, when, when our lives are all about Jesus, it's just natural to talk about him. And I'm not trying to guilt you into evangelism right now. Don't hear that. What I'm trying to say or to ask is, if God is not overflowing from within you, why? Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think many of us are not just not reflecting on these kinds of things. We're, we're, we're not spending time in self-reflection. We're distracted, right? Maybe by the great distractor right here. Um, we have a hard time getting quiet before the Lord. It, it can seem boring. It can, it can be hard to just sit in silence with just you and your Bible or you and your journal. You feel like you're not accomplishing anything, like you should be doing something else, something more productive. We're, so, we're also used to multitasking so much that it's hard to just sit and be quiet or sit and pray or meditate on the Word of God. And we just talked about being planted by water, being planted by the Lord, sending our roots out by the stream. In other words, getting strength from the Lord, spiritual food from him. And our society is just so fast. We don't have time for God. We, we don't go to him consistently. We don't depend on him for strength. And if we're honest, um, a lot of times we find that somewhere else, right? Strength and energy, that's what coffee's for, or I'm stressed out, that's what exercise is for, or YouTube, or however you unwind. Um, and listen to me, I'm not saying you don't need to unwind. All of us need to be able to find ways to help us unwind. For me, it's music. But is God the first one that we go to? Let me ask you another question. What was the time in your life when you felt most close to God? My guess is that it was either a time when you were in a close-knit Christian community, like uh, maybe if you guys grew up as believers, you went to Christian camp, or you had some close friends that were believers. And I want to talk about that a little bit more in a second. Um, or maybe you felt most close to God after an accident or a sickness or the death of someone close to you, some kind of difficult time. Why do we often have to go through a hard time, through suffering, before we choose to, to go to God, to get down on our knees and to pray, before we can be serious about Jesus being our daily bread, being our comforter? If we're not trying to grow closer to God, then we need to understand that we're actually moving the opposite way, because no one, no one naturally grows closer to God. We don't just stay neutral. You're either moving towards him, you're for him, or you're moving away from him, you're against him. There's no middle ground. Jesus says in Luke 11, 23, anyone who is not with me is against me. And then James 
in chapter 4, verse 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That just means against God. And then in Revelation 3, verse 16, Jesus actually says to the church in Laodicea, he says, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And some translations even say, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's meant to be a shocking statement um, and and a wake-up call, really, because there is no middle ground. We can't just sit and do nothing. Jesus makes that very clear. Many of us want to follow God on our own terms and in our own time. But can I say to you this morning that if that's the case, then Jesus is not your Lord. Because if we are submitting to our Lord, it's not about us. It's about him. And we either know how to submit to him or we are at least trying to take steps to submit to him. We're learning how to do that. We're not just sitting around and doing nothing, right? Again, no one naturally grows closer to God without effort. It's just not how it works. So if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we need to be followers of Jesus. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. We are living in a world of sin, and it's so easy to forget that. We're, we're just surrounded by this world that, that is fallen and that doesn't know what Jesus as Lord means. I'm guessing that the majority of us here, if not all of us, have made a decision to follow Christ. We believe that Jesus' death on the cross means that we have been forgiven of, of our sin and that through his resurrection we have been raised to new life. But after that decision is made, we still have to learn how to walk in him. We've all grown up in a world that says, you are the most important thing. You are more important than anyone else. And we're surrounded by that mentality, right? That way of thinking. So how do we learn to walk in God's way? How do we learn to live for him instead of for ourselves? The Bible says that we have been made a new creation, but how do we live like a new creation instead of living like how we lived before we surrendered to Jesus? Galatians 5 16 through 21 is our main text today, and it says, starting in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we can read that or we can listen to that and think, well, I'm good there. I don't do any of that. And, and at first glance, I can, see, I can see that. There's some pretty bad stuff up there. But what if I hone in on a few words here? 
quarreling, jealousy, hostility, outbursts of anger, envy. And let's just be honest now, close relationships are always going to lead to quarreling, right? Some kind of argument or fighting at some point. And maybe dissension, which is angry disagreement or complaint. Do you know why we quarrel and complain? It usually boils down to self-centeredness, to pride. And you'd think now that we're a new creation that we, we wouldn't have to fight that, but we do. We've got to fight that inclination that says everything should be all about me. Because we're born that way, we're surrounded by it. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. No one teaches a child to be selfish. They just are. Another one of these desires of the flesh, outbursts of anger, uh, goes hand in hand with some of the other fleshly desires that are mentioned, like jealousy, hostility, envy. Have you ever heard the expression, the grass is greener on the other side? I think social media is a good example of the grass is greener on the other side because it stirs up this, this envy, right? We see another person's life and we think, oh, my life would be better if I could just have that or be like that or do that. Envy is actually the key to good marketing and making people believe that their lives would be better, right? If, they, if they've just bought this product or had this. It's, it's sad and it's actually scary, but it's sobering because that's the extent of what the world can offer us. The world can only offer momentary pleasure or satisfaction. It doesn't last. In our Galatians passage today, Paul uses the word idolatry. And, and I think Paul probably is talking about Idolatry, how we would normally think of idolatry, bowing down to a stone statue. But I think he's also using it with a second meaning in mind. Listen to this. This is from Colossians 3, verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. We can, we can bow down to these things, right? We can offer our time. We can offer our our money, our energy to these things, these idols. And that sounds a lot like ancient idolatry. You're making offerings, which is exactly what Paul is talking about in Colossians. And I believe that he's saying, in our Galatians, saying that in our Galatians passage as well. We in our civilized, educated societies still have idols. I like what they're referred to in Christian counseling. Christian counseling calls these idols of the heart. And the reason that I'm bringing all of this up is that I'm trying to get to the answer of a question that you may have asked yourself many times before. Why do I continue to sin? Why do I continue to do wrong things? We already know that this world is sinful. We've talked about this, that we're born into sin. But why do we continue to sin? Haven't we been made a new creation in Christ? Why is it still possible for us to sin and continue to sin? The wisdom of this world says that the root of your problems are your circumstances, what's happening outside of you. And you hear that a lot. You hear things like, it's probably something that happened to you in the past that's causing your anxiety or your, your ang outbursts of anger. 
Um, you need to deal with your 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 past, right? Your your dysfunctional family, maybe, or you've inherited addiction. And I'm not trying to diminish these things. Circumstances do have an effect on us, but we can try to play off our sin, and we often do blame it on our past or our present circumstances. I had a hard childhood, so that's why I'm angry all the time, or I don't like my job, or I, I drink too much because I'm, I don't like my job, you know. We play off these circumstances and we, we find excuses for the sins that we, we commit. And again, these circumstances do affect us. We, we, may have, we may have picked up bad habits from our parents. We, our past does affect us. Our parents may have responded to things in anger and we may have learned that. Or they may have run away from things and we've learned how to do that too, right? And bad things, bad days, difficult jobs do affect us. There are situations in life that are not always easy to deal with. But hear me out. The world will tell you that the root of your problems, the root of your anxieties, your issues, your, are your circumstances. But I'm here to tell you that the Bible says differently. You see, the, world, the, the word of God tells us why things are the way they are. It explains what our purpose is, and, and it tells us how to truly live. And I feel like we don't always see it that way because the Bible's not always an easy book to understand. We've got to chew on it. We've got to meditate on it and, and really think about it and wrestle with the things that we, we read when we read the Bible. And it's not easy. We often want easy answers, right? And that's generally not what the Bible offers. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. What he's saying is the Christian life is not easy. Following him is not easy. We can't just coast it's got to be a daily choice, a daily effort. Excuse me, two Sundays ago, we used this chart um, to explain that Jeremiah 17 passage that we were going through. And I want to go back to this really quick. The person who does not trust God is like a shrub in the desert, is what Jeremiah 17 says. And the person who trusts God is like the, the healthy tree, the tree planted by water. Two kinds of people, right? And the heat represents circumstances, the circumstances of life. The shrub in the desert or the person who does not trust God reacts to the heat, to the circumstances, sinfully. They respond with sin. Whereas the person who's planted by water, by Jesus, responds with obedience, and the sinful responses lead to consequences, and the obedient responses lead to fruit. This is essentially the truth of that Jeremiah 17 passage. So why can't people just pick themselves up and do better? We can change our habits, we can change our behavior, we can change our lifestyle, but we will never be able to change our hearts. The Bible says in Genesis 8, 21, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. 
And then Psalm 14, starting in verse 2, says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then that Jeremiah passage in verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Finally, a passage we we looked at before, but I want to add verse 35. It says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good people bring good things out of the good stored in them, and evil people bring evil things out of the evil stored up in them. And we all do evil things at certain times, right? So does that make us evil people? Well, it's a little bit more complicated than first glance at this verse. Back to that chart. People respond sinfully to the heat, the circumstances of life, because of idols of the heart, idolatrous motives. Jesus says in in Mark 7, verse 21, "For for from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, idolatry, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So it's pretty clear that the Bible shows us that the idols of the heart are the problem. And they're the reason why you and I continue to sin. Yes, we have been given a new heart. Yes, we have been given the Holy Spirit as a seal and as as a guide to direct us and to comfort and counsel us. And so we are able to surrender those idols to God. It's possible. We're, We're able to repent and surrender to him. That's a possibility for us. But until an unbeliever comes to a place where they're ready to surrender their lives to God. They're not actually able to get past these idols of the heart. They're not able to turn them over to God because they don't believe in him, right? And that's why it's so important for us to share Christ with others and to pray for our friends and our family who do not know God. Because until they come to that place, they're going to be stuck in sin. And again, that makes it sound like we're saying that all unbelievers are terrible people. And I'm not saying that. Uh, Unbelievers can still be disciplined. They can be polite and educated, right? We know this. My grandparents were good, polite people, but they didn't know God. And up to the very end, they were living for themselves. They had no real purpose in life. They had no real peace, no real hope. I loved them, and I'll always remember them, but they're gone forever. That's how serious this is. We don't have time to to be kind of in it. We're either moving forward or we're not. We have to be allowing God to deal with these things in our heart. The Christian life is is a life of surrender and repentance. God reveals these things in our heart and then we turn them over to him. I like this illustration of the Christian life. There may be times when we slip, we go down, but we get back up and we keep moving forward. It's a life of forward momentum. So the desires of the flesh, the sins listed by Jesus in Mark, 
or, or what Paul lists in Galatians, the Galatians passage that we looked at, those aren't all idols of the heart. Um, most of those are just sins that come out of the idol of the heart. So we have to dig even deeper to find these idols, these idols in our heart. For example, um, pleasure. If pleasure is an idol of your heart, there is a multitude of sins connected to that. And, and some of those were listed before. Sexual sin, foolishness, drunkenness, wild parties. Or pride. Pride is a big idol of the heart. Pride can lead to theft, murder, coveting, deceit, slander, jealousy, outbursts of anger. So even though we think that the root of our problems often we think are our circumstances, I'm angry because that guy cut me off, or I'm angry because of what that person said to me. Even though we think circumstances cause us to sin, we can see here that that's not what the Bible says. The root of our problems are the idols of our heart. And remember, we do not naturally gravitate towards God. We do not naturally evolve into better people. We have to deal with these idols of the heart in order to deal with the sin in our lives, right? The sin that is coming out of us. It takes repentance. It takes effort. It takes surrender. And it also takes the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. We have to not only pray that God would help us deal with sin, we have to pray that he would reveal the roots of those sins. Again, if you're struggling with anger, what is the root of that anger? God wants to pull out those roots, those idols, but we've got to be willing to surrender to him. And we respond obediently, we produce fruit when we surrender to God and we, when we allow him to change our hearts into hearts that desire to glorify him, meaning we are motivated by God-focused worship. Our motivation changes from trying to please ourselves, trying to please other people even, looking to looking to and wanting to live for God and to please him. And that's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. We need to patiently work out what God is working in us. Um, our passage in Galatians 5 starts out by saying, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then it lists those desires of the flesh. And then we've already talked about those, so I'll skip, skip that. And, and, and then it skips, if we skip down to verse 22, it lists the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but I'm not going to talk about those today either. Um, but, but in verse 24 at the bottom there, it says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul is telling us in Galatians exactly what we need to do. Walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And, and he also says, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, rid yourselves of these idols of the heart, of these idolatrous motives and these sins that accompany them. And we definitely cannot do that on our own. I think Paul uses the word crucify here on purpose because he's trying to show us that because of Christ's crucifixion, it's now possible for us to surrender those things to him and to walk in the Spirit. Now, I want to ask you another question. 
And I'm going to ask this because it's important for us to stop and to sit down sometimes and to think about how we're doing. So my question is this, are we really following Jesus? I mean, really, because if we really are, then there's going to be good fruit, right? And if you're not seeing good fruit, something's not right. Matthew 7, verse 16 says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. There's a few things that I think are helpful that we can do and we should do. The first thing that we can do and should do is to be self-reflecting, to asking ourselves, asking ourselves questions like, why don't I, I share Jesus with others? Or, or why am I not seeing fruit in my life? Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. And Matthew 6, verse 6, it says, But when you go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then one last verse I want to read from Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his, his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Again here, we've, we've got the tree planted by streams of water, right? And what is this person doing? It tells us that they're meditating on the scriptures, on the word of God. They're sitting down and they're being quiet before the Lord. And that's exactly what we need to do. We, we need to be regularly sitting down and asking ourselves serious questions. How am I doing? Am I moving forward? Where's the fruit? And practically, there's a few ways to do this. Reading the word, meditating on it, reflecting on it, wrestling with it, trying to understand it. Not every passage in the Bible is directly applicable to us, but when it is applicable... Um, reflecting on how we can apply it or learn from it. I think journaling is a great way to do this, sitting down by yourself and just writing about how things are going in your life. Um, just getting it down on paper is helpful. It, it's actually a great daily thing to do because we can incorporate prayer in it as well. Um, we can write down our prayers. And when we write down our prayers, we can go back later and we can see how God was working, how he was answering those prayers and how he was working in our, in our hearts and in our lives. It can be so encouraging to look back and to reflect on that, to remember those things. Another good way, I think, is to ask someone close to you, a friend or, or a spouse, if you're married, um, how am I doing these days? What, what, what are some things you noticed uh, about me these days? Do you think I'm moving forward? I would be prepared for a, for a very honest answer, though, because our, especially with our spouses, right? They are very honest. Um, many times on our way back to Seoul, Bora, Bora will say to me, how do you think your sermon went today? And I know she wants to tell me something about it. <laughs> Thank you, Bora. 
The Bible tells us that iron sharpens iron. It's easier to move forward and to grow if we're doing it together with other people. There's just something about being with other believers that are headed in the same direction um, that spurs us on. And I encourage you to be meeting with other believers during the week. The Mackenzies just started a missional family. Um, I know the women meet every week. Jean also has a weekly Bible study on, on the base, I believe. And our guest speaker last week, Pastor James, um, he shared from this passage last week. I want to read this for us, Hebrews 10. It says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider one another. That's what this passage is, is calling us to do. We need each other's help and encouragement. God made us to be in community. The last part of our Galatians passage, um, starting in verse 25, I want to read for you. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So what this is saying is we need that uncomfortable accountability that family provides, that close friends provide. Do you ever feel like sometimes your family is a little too honest? Uh, maybe you're a little too comfortable with each other. Well, guess what? We need that honesty. We need people in our lives who are, who are not afraid to tell us things that we need to hear, things that maybe we don't see or that we don't want to see. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So this is a Christian response to what happens or what's supposed to happen in relationship. We're, we're all imperfect. We all mess up sometimes. There's going to be conflict with others. If we're not hiding ourselves, that is, if we're honest, if we're showing the real you, um, there's going to be conflict. And I'm not saying be rude and unfiltered to each other. The Bible actually says, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth but only what is useful for, for building each other up. So we still need to be patient with each other. We still need to be kind and gentle and loving. But at the same time, there needs to be a level of honesty. And we have to be willing to, to help each other. We not only have to be willing to help each other, but we also need to be willing to allow the community to help us. And that's not an easy thing to do, to be vulnerable. Jesus has a beautiful way of summing up the law and the prophets. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then in Matthew eleven twenty-nine, 29, we're almost done. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' Jesus's teaching is not actually easy in the sense that it can be hard to do, right? 
But his teaching is simple. It's clear. It's all about repenting, surrendering, and following him. He says, take my teachings and learn from me. So we go to the scriptures, we learn, we try to understand and wrestle through the things we're learning and try to, try to live them out. We apply them in community. We apply what God is working in us. We work out what he's working in us. And, and I want to challenge you to ask those difficult questions. Am I really following Jesus? Do I see fruit? Am I overflowing with the love of Jesus? Am I wanting to share him with other people? We don't have to try to manufacture it. It takes time. And it will happen as we work out what he's working in us. But we've got to live it out. And we do that together as the church. Amen? Let's pray.